I want to thank you once again for your strong support of missions. I was reading uh, last night, once again, a letter from Dr. Uh, Kevin Ezell. Uh, Kevin Ezell leads our North American uh, Mission Board, and uh, he sent me a letter back in 2014 that said, Scott Pitts, uh, through Annie Armstrong in North American Missions Giving, Pitts is in the top 200 churches across the whole entire Southern Baptist Convention, top 200 uh, churches in mission giving to North American missions. And so we want to thank you for that. And uh, folks, we, uh, we desperately need to reach North America as well as the world. Uh, statistics show that we are losing North America. Uh, I've been talking to church, I've uh, been talking to pastors across our association here. Big churches, little churches, traditional churches, contemporary churches, young churches, old churches, blended churches, all kinds of churches right around us. And all of the pastors are saying the same thing, all of them. Where have our, where have our people gone? Ron said, Scott, it's not just in this area. He said, in my travels around the country, pastors are saying that all over the place. The American church, our Southern Baptist churches included, are down 20%. 20%. People are now saying church attendance is one time a month, and they're going to churches online. Uh, we desperately need a revival in the church in America today. We really do. Because you think of the American church and how it's impacted international missions. If we lose the American church, what, what impact? God always has his people, though. I mean, we know he's the Lord of the harvest. But still, we have the opportunity to join him in his mission. And certainly a man that is passionate about doing that is Dr. Ron Larson. If you've seen the Energizer Bunny commercials, the Energizer Bunny gets its energy from Ron Larson. Okay? Uh, if you have a hyperactive 13-year-old son... Uh, you have a picture of Ron Larson, okay? Uh, a man with tremendous energy uh, just blows my mind. Uh, but he's deeply involved in North American missions. He met his college sweetheart, uh, uh, met his wife. She was his college sweetheart. They went back to his home state of uh, Orlando, uh, on a vacation to West Virginia, they felt God calling them to the mid-Atlantic area. Uh, he planted a church in a town with one stoplight and a, a town population of 1,200. And the church uh, grew to having 1,300 in attendance. And then they sent out, they planted seven different churches. 
Uh, North American Mission Board got a hold of him and said, we want you to be over church planning in the D.C. and Baltimore area. He's been doing that. He has recently launched a new kind of church plant at the crossing. The couples that they have that come in to be a part of the core group have to have a commitment. Now, folks, they're his core group, but their commitment has to be that within a year or two, you have to go out and start your own church. So his congregation is set up to purposely lose their membership, to send their membership out. It's a multiplying church plant. Uh, That is what Ron is engaged in currently. And then he travels all over the country and all over our convention hosting conferences in evangelism and missions and church planting. Uh, Pray for him because, again, as I started out in the North American church today, we desperately need a revival. We do. Um, Listen prayerfully and say, Lord, as Ron speaks today as your servant, give me ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. Uh, Ron, come and lead us. God bless you, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Good. Well, it's good to be back at Pitts Baptist. I remember last year I wore this pink shirt, and Pastor, real men can wear pink. So I just wore it this week again just for you because you commented on it last year. So just, you know, I want you to know. And the other reason I'm wearing it is because my daughter bought it for me. And she is going to be making, somebody's got to take a picture today. Please take a picture today so I can appease her because she will drive me crazy if you don't. Because she won't think I wore it because she just thinks I won't wear pink. So, you know, when you get 60, you can wear whatever you want because I don't dress to impress anymore. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, listen, I'm coming up on my 40th wedding anniversary. I appreciate the 65 years that uh, this young couple uh, today is engaged in. I don't think I'm going to make it that far. Um, not because she's going to leave me or anything, but, uh, you know, I just, you know, I, I just think that, you know, I just wonder how many more years can I keep at the high level of energy before that energizer bunny just like, you know, dies and, uh, you know, so my wife doesn't worry about me uh, bungee jumping. She doesn't worry about me jumping out of plane. She says, you're just going to be walking up to the pulpit and kill over. I'm like, what a way to go, baby. <laughs> you know? Put me in a hearse and drive me around town with a sign on the back that says, you next. You know, that's kind of my idea of fun. I want to remember me. So let me tell you a little bit about my church plan, and I really appreciate your pastor. I met him a few years ago. He welcomed me into his, it was kind of a cold call. He welcomed me into his office, uh, sit there relaxed. I mean, most pastors of a church this size give you five minutes, and they're looking at their watch the whole time, like, when are you going to leave? But I was with him about an hour that day, which is very rare. You have to know that's very rare, especially on a cold call. And he just shared his heart, and I shared my heart, and we began a friendship that uh, has now culminated in your church adopting the crossing. I left the North American Mission Board last year in June, uh, went out and had no assurance of income, uh, left a very good salary, very good uh, retirement, uh, full health insurance. And when I left, I had no health insurance, I had no income. And I did this when I turned 60. See, I didn't have my uh, crisis at 40 like most men do. You know, they shave their chest and get a motorcycle and that kind of thing. Um, I, I had my crisis at 60. 
And, and let me tell you why I had the crisis. I had the crisis because even though God was working, we had started 88 churches in the Baltimore area in four years there. Uh, it was blowing and going. We were number one in, at NAM in church planting, uh, one of the hardest cities in America. But so everything was going good. And I was kind of like Michael Jordan, you know, just like I wanted to go out on top, right? But it was more than that. I got impassioned about going into churches like yours and others. A few weeks ago, I was in a church running 30 people in Tallahassee, Florida. 30 people. I was the youngest person there. 30 people. And I taught them what I teach in evangelism. And now 18 of them are out sharing their faith on a consistent basis every week. And the church is starting to grow again. Not because I was there. But that was my passion to go into churches like that. And then, and then next week, I'll be in a church running 1,200. And again, the same thing. They're baptizing maybe 10, 12 people a year. They should be baptizing 100. And I want to invigorate them. So my heart right now is not only to plant my church the crossing, but also to invigorate churches, to recapture what we once had. That is a fervent, vibrant evangelism that sees all kinds of people coming to Christ, black and white, Hispanic, old and young, people that just radically get changed. by. How many of you know that the gospel changes lives forever? It's not just a one-time, it's a lifetime change. And so that's what I got impassioned about. And that's why I stepped out last year, as your pastor said, and and I planted the crossing at the same time. It meets at 5 o'clock on Sunday nights. um, And then we have extension areas in in other parts that meet at other parts of the week. And I just wanted to do church different. I was tired of just doing church the way everybody's doing it. I'm kind of a contrarian that way anyway. I kept with the gospel. I kept with, uh, uh, we're Southern Baptists. We give the cooperative program. We do all those things. But but here's, here's the kind of people I wanted to attract. One of the first people I attracted was I, every day I drive by a gentleman's club. I don't know if you have those in North Carolina or not, but uh, that's a fancy name for strip joint for you Baptists that don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and every day I dro- drove by the Taboo Club. Now, evidently, there's not a whole lot of people that know Jesus that go there. And God spoke to my heart. I'm going to talk to you about faith for a few minutes. And he said, I want you to drive in there and talk to the manager of that club. And, and I said, uh, Lord, can I call my wife first? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of important, Pastor. And so I called Pat and I said, honey, I just want you to know I'm going a little late. I'm stopping by the Taboo Club. <laughs> and she knows, it, you know, I turned 60, midlife crisis, so she's thinking, what is wrong with them now? And so I went in and met the manager by the name of John. John's a fine guy. We sit down. He offered me everything from things that are legal to things that are now for medicinal purposes. (laughs) And we began to talk. And we just clicked. And I led John to Jesus Christ. The owner, manager of the Taboo Club came to Jesus. How many of you think heaven, how many of you think heaven was on fire that day? So here's what John does. He goes, he goes, I got this, I got this stripper. She's coming to work in a little bit. Can you stick around and talk to her? Because she needs Jesus too. Now I'm thinking, when it gets dark, this is one place I don't want my license plate to be photographed on Facebook being at. I am a pastor after all. And I said, John, here's what I want to do. And on a napkin, I showed him what I teach people on how to share their faith. And I want you to share your faith. See, my idea is when you get saved immediately, go and do likewise. Share with somebody else. 
So John shared with Stephanie, his stripper, and Stephanie came to Christ. And the next Sunday, both of them showed up for church. Now, in my church plant, you've got to be serving by your second or third Sunday. That's just my rule, okay? Pastor's right. I send out all my core people. In fact, the people I started the church with in February, they're all gone, except for one. They're all gone. Send them out. They're planting churches, or they're part of a church plant. So I have this weird philosophy that I'm going to do church different. I'm going to decline. <laughs> Not that that's much different in today's society. But, but I'm going to send people out. My, my goal is not that how many did we have today, but how many did we send out this month? That, that's the only stat I want to know. I don't even count how many we have anymore. I gave up on that. So I want to know from our people that count and do all those records, how many people did we send out? So, so you had to be serving. So here, here's the story. Here's the story. So Stephanie, by her second week, I said, what would you like to do? She said, I'd like to greet. And I'm thinking, okay. So I put her at the door. And she greeted that Sunday. After the service, I went up to her and I said, Stephanie, how did it go? And she goes, your people are so friendly. And I know a lot of the men that come to your church. <laughs> now, now that... Two things immediately came to mind. <laughs> One is, that's good and that's bad. <laughs> it's good that she knows a lot of my people. <laughs> it's bad that she knows a lot of our men. But see, that's the kind of people that we're attracting. See, my goal is not to get people from other churches. My goal is to get the de-church, the unchurched, the unbeliever, the person that knows a little bit about the gospel, enough to make them dangerous, and, and expose them to the true gospel that transforms life. See, I'm not looking for numbers anymore. I'm looking for transformed lives. I want to see people so fired up by Jesus that they step out in faith, and that's what we're going to look at today, step out in faith to do things that are impossible when you don't know Jesus. See, there's only, so, there, listen, there's some things you can only do if you know Jesus. Y'all understand that balcony people way up there? Just wave at me if you understand what I'm talking about. There's some things you can only do if you know Jesus. But you've got to exercise it by faith. So why am I starting a church at 60 years of age? Why, am I, why did I leave a comfortable salary and position? Could have retired there. And why did I leave at the top of my game? Why did I start a church? Why, why, am, I, why am I going around and, and away so many days? I'm, I'm doing it for one reason. By faith, I'm supposed to operate my spiritual life. I don't operate on the base. See, I didn't feel like getting up and driving an hour because I came in, you know, I came in. Or, I, I just did. I mean, I just, I, I, I want to see, I didn't get to watch Sports Center today. But I came because I have a passion to stir you up and be stirred up by you to see your county so consumed with Jesus Christ that places like the Dubu Club don't even exist in your county anymore because nobody wants to go to them. One of the greatest revivals took place in Wells, and, and not only did 100,000 people get saved uh, in, in nine months, but also the bars closed in Wells, and, 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 and drunkenness was virtually unknown, and they issued white gloves to the judges because there were no more cases to try. That was because the gospel got a hold of that, of that little country and transformed people's lives. In fact, men, there was, there was one bar outside of the, of the area that they had to drive to or they had to uh, walk, walk to or ride the horse to this day before cars and, and had to go to. And men would try to go there because they were so tired of their wives trying to tell them about Jesus and they'd hear their wives praying that they'd go to this bar outside 
outside of the area and they would try to lift up the pint to drink it and some unseen force would grip their arm and prevent them from drinking and it so convicted them that they would run home and ask their wives, what must I do to get saved? I want that to happen again. God didn't do it once and say, that's it. God wants to revive his church and his county and this nation and this world once more. And I just say, come on, God, one more time, do it again. How about it, church? Would you like to see that happen? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to see people lined up? I was at church the other day, two and a half mile back up to get into the church, and nobody was complaining. The pastor baptizes every Sunday. He gets dunked every Sunday. And I want that to happen in the church again. You say, well, how can that happen? Let me, let me just show you this. i, I got to hurry on. But Luke chapter 5, turn there with me. Let me share a story with you. And there's a couple things about, about faith. Because I believe that most people today are living on the, they're, they're, they're being manipulated by their moods. They're following their feelings. There's a lot of, of apathy and sort of like, you know, I'm churched and I'm good and I drink North Carolina sweet tea, so I must be going to heaven. And, uh, you know, whatever their deal is, and, 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 and I think that a lot of people, I, they just kind of fall asleep. Now, let me tell you something. You fall asleep during this message. I'm going to come sit next to you, okay? You're not going to fall asleep today. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge you in the next 15, 20 minutes to evaluate your life as to whether or not you're living by your feelings or by faith. Now, if you got saved by faith, you stay saved by faith. Amen? I believe in eternal security, so don't, don't, don't challenge my theology. I believe in that. But what I'm telling you is the same thing that got you saved is what God wants to use to sanctify your life and use you as a missionary where you live, work, and play. Same thing. So the other day, we, we, we just moved into a different place. We moved from Baltimore. We went a little bit further out because it was just getting too expensive, and I didn't have any income anymore, so that was kind of important to the bank that I, that I you know, get a kind of downsize. So we sold almost everything we had, and, and uh, you say, man, you're an idiot for doing that. Let me tell you something. I don't operate on the world system anymore. There was a day that I did, drove a sports car, you know, exotic vacations, but I don't do that anymore. You know why? Because I'm closer to heaven. See, I'm, I'm, I'm like one flu season away from meeting Jesus. Y'all go remember that, aren't you? <laughs> and, and because of that, I have, a, I, have a, I have a heightened sense of urgency to get this thing done before Jesus takes me home. Are, are you understanding me? Now, it doesn't matter whether you're 13 today or 18, like our, our, our lovely uh, young lady uh, read the scripture a moment ago, or 88, doesn't matter. You are to be about the same thing that got you saved is what God wants you to be doing and sharing your faith with other people expanding the kingdom in this area called, called Concord and expanding like a ripple into places like Baltimore. And we're so thankful that you do that and allow me to be able to serve there and expanding across the world into Africa and Asia and, and Europe. I mean, that, this, this is what we're all about. See, what we're all about, I, I mean, I didn't know the pastor had a tree fall in his house, but I loved what he said. It's not about brick and mortar. What it's about is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the only thing. See, people aren't going to get saved by going to church today. They're going to get saved only by responding to the free offer of the gospel by faith. Amen? Y'all believe that at Pitts Baptist? Well, we'll watch this. Luke chapter 5. Because here's how we act sometimes. Now, Jesus has been teaching chapter 5, verse 1. And, it, and uh, let's skip down, if we could, to verse 4. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
And Simon, now you, you got to wonder, what is, a, what is a carpenter doing telling a professional fisherman how to fish? I mean, think about that. This is odd at the very beginning of this story. And so when he had finished doing all that and speaking, Simon answered, verse 5, and said, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. In other words, you really don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. Maybe you ought to stick to what your daddy taught you. We know how to fish, and we've done it the right way all night. Nets in, nets out, nets in, nets out. No fish. We're coming back barren. We have nothing to account for all of our work, which sounds like a lot of churches today. And so because of that, we're just coming in, and we're going to take a break. Let me tell you something what Jesus does. He says, and we haven't caught anything, he tells Jesus. But, but listen, I love what Peter does because he does what a lot of us don't do. Even though it sounds silly, even though Jesus was saying to them, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch, even though it doesn't make sense to do what he's saying, even though it's a carpenter telling a fisherman how to fish, even though they worked all night and hadn't caught anything, but Peter does the right thing. Here's the right words to say. Here's what faith is. Because you say so, I will let down the net. See, some of you are missing the blessing and the power and the provision of God today because you feel like you've done everything you know to do and nothing has happened. And now Jesus has given you a fresh word. Go across and talk to your neighbor about your Christ story. Get involved in a mission project in Africa or Baltimore next year. Whatever he's prompting you to do. But you're saying, Lord, I'm tired. (laughs) I'm busy. The four-letter word of Baptist, right? I've I got all this stuff to do. I, I, I don't have any vacation time left. I, I, my finances are tied. I just lost my job. I, whatever it may be. And I'm here to tell you, every need is an opportunity for God to become your supply. Whether you need time or money or health or ambition or direction or wisdom, every need you have in your life is an opportunity for heaven to come and be your supply. All it takes to connect the need to the supply is the pipeline called faith. Now let me tell you what faith is not. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not saying, I hope it happens. Faith is not saying, man, it might happen and it may not. Faith is saying, listen, it's acting like something is so when it is not so, so it will be so. See if you can write that down real fast, okay? I don't even know if I can say it again. (laughs) I'm not talking about prosperity thinking. I'm not talking about, you know, God, give me Mercedes, Ben. What I'm talking about is this. It's stepping into the unknown that you cannot see, you don't understand, and, 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 and moving at the word of God and doing what he is saying in his word. See, see, a lot of people say, well, I'm looking for a word from God. He already gave you 66 bucks. Try reading one of those. God's already given you a word. He's waiting on your faith. Will you step out and act in faith? Peter, will you believe me when I tell you It's going to be all right. I'm going to do something here. Well, you put your nets out into the deep, even though it doesn't make sense, even though you can't see those fish, even though you've worked hard all night. And so watch what happens, verse 6. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Don't you love it? Isn't that a great story? Their nets, they had worked all night and not caught anything, but because Jesus said, do something that doesn't make sense, that you cannot see, that you don't understand, just do it, act on what I'm telling you to do, and see, listen, this is what faith is. Faith is acting like something is, 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 I can't even say it again. Faith is acting like something is so, when it is not so, so it will be so. Peter, Peter acts by putting the net back into the deep, 
at a time when fish are not biting, he does something by faith. See, faith is acting. Faith is not a belief. Faith is not a wishful thinking. Faith is not hope. Faith is action. Are you getting this? So what about it, church? Are you ready to do what God has already told you to do? So you can't ask God for a new word if you haven't obeyed the last word he gave you. God says something and then he shuts up. And a lot of people say, well, I don't hear God anymore. What's, God's, well, what's the last thing he told you to do? Until you do that, God's not going to speak again. See, I did this with Herschel the other day. Herschel, see, I, I was telling you, I, I, got into, I moved and I got into this uh, small house. It's great for Pat and I. It's a baby boomer retirement place. Uh, you know, that is all one floor, you know, no steps, amen, thank you, Jesus. And, um, and you know, my kids can come change my diaper in about two decades, and, and, you know, they don't have to climb any steps or anything like that. And, I mean, it's just perfect. And they live right across the street from me, Pastor. I didn't know why they wanted me to w- live across the street from me until I realized I am now the 7-Eleven for my kids. <laughs> Six o'clock in the morning, they don't have milk, bing! Run out of bread, bing! Yeah, I got suckered into that one. And so, and so, and so they, uh, so, so the builder of my home is a guy by the name of Justin. And, and Herschel is the old guy that's been there. He, I think he is the uh, original house. There's about 85 homes that have been built in this little subdivision. About 600 homes are going to be. So, so I said, God, what, what can I do to reach my community? Now, I'm an extrovert. Some of you are introverts. I'm married to an introvert. When I go to a party, I want to be the guy. Everybody's gone, and I'm turning out the lights. When she goes to a party, she's the first one that wants to leave. Okay, y'all, y'all, anybody married to an introvert know what I'm talking about? Or if you are an introvert? I mean, that, that's just the way it is. Okay, yeah, your point is, okay, right, you got it. Right, right, right. So, so it doesn't matter whether you're an introvert or extrovert. You can still be used by faith to be used by God. So even though I went to Herschel, and so we, everybody congregates at the community post office. They have one of those, you know, general mailboxes, like an apartment complex where everybody has a key, and you get your number, and I'm number 15, and you go and do math. So I just noticed that some of the old people, not that I am one, they congregated about 5.30 at the mailboxes. And all the younger people would drive by between 5.30 and 6 to get their mail. So I, I looked up the definition of stalking. And I, start, I decided to stalk the mailboxes. I go down there and I meet Herschel. Herschel's a church dropout. It used to be Methodist. The Methodist church, he didn't like it anymore, so he quit going. He, he's lost as a goose. He didn't know anything about the gospel. And, and so I went to get my mail one day, and the Holy Spirit said, talk to him. And I said, Lord, I really don't want to talk to him. i got to get back. Pat's got dinner coming. But by faith, I acted on what I didn't want to do. Okay? I engaged Herschel in a conversation. As we began this conversation, I said, Herschel, you ever think about spiritual things? He said, he used to. I said, could I share my Christ story with you about how I became interested in, 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 in spiritual things? He said, well, sure, we got plenty of time. He had plenty of time. I didn't have plenty of time, but he had plenty of time. We're now starting a brand new gathering. Those are our small groups in his home next month. You say, you do that in a lost person's house? You betcha. You know why? Because he's going to be captivated every Sunday uh, I think we're doing his on Sunday, uh, Saturday, something like that. I can't remember. I show up when I need to. But, uh, but, but we're going to have, he's going to be here because he can't go anywhere. See? And by faith, I already see Herschel as saved. Are, are you getting this? See, he's mine. He's been the devil's for too long. 
But now he's mine. Really, he's God. You understand what I'm saying, though. See, he, he's going to fall. He's going to get out of his selfish ambition. He's going to get out of his contrarian nature. He's going to get out of his bitterness. And I believe Herschel is coming to Jesus. I'm already acting like it's so, even though it's not so, so it will be so. Are you tracking with me, church? See, that's how you reach people. You don't have to be weird or strange or crazy to go on a mission trip or to go to a neighbor or to talk to a friend or to talk to a person, your co- or, uh, your, one of your co-workers. You just have to be obedient to what God has already said. And the last thing Jesus said before as he was wrapping up the whole church thing and disciples and all that was go and make disciples. Well, you can't make a disciple of someone that is lost. They got to get saved first, and then you make so so so. In other words, what he was implying is you got to get people saved, and then make them disciples to go out and disciple other people. So 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 my wife is an introvert. So I taught her how to how to reach people for Jesus, how to how to share faith on a napkin, and and so her her uh, her hairdresser is Cindy, and Cindy thinks I'm too much. You know, I go get my hair cut, and she's like, uh, "Don't talk to me." <laughs> I overpower her. So an extrovert was not going to lead Cindy to Jesus. Pat sat there in that chair for about six months. And one day, said, Cindy, do you ever think about spiritual things? And she said, all the time. And Pat led Cindy to Jesus Christ. Well, I took Cindy out because now she would go with me because, you know, she wouldn't intimidate anymore. And we went out and we decided to give, uh, we we work in a, uh, one of our gatherings is in a very, very tough spot. uh, uh, Number five in the nation in opioid addiction. Uh, None of the kids have dads, maybe one or two. Uh, It's it's really, really bad. In fact, uh, Celeste, I mean, we're going to go work there this summer uh, when she brings her team up. And so we we went and we decided to give, we got free bread. And so we're going to go away free bread. And so... So I said, Cindy, you and Tammy go one direction, and me and Bill go the other direction. And so the first house she went to, she knocks on the door. Lady comes to the door about 75, 80 years of age, totally naked. Not the way you want to start your witnessing career. She looks in the room, and there's two other women also without clothing. In the middle of the room, there is a bong. You don't know what that is. You're Baptist. But let's just say... Just ask somebody that went through the 60s. They'll know what it is. <laughs> and all, there's all this smoke in the air. And so Cindy instantly realizes what is going on. I said, Cindy, what did you do? What did you say? She said, I handed the lady the bread and said, here, you're going to be hungry later. <laughs> now, the cool thing about this story is, Cindy has led five people to Jesus Christ because she's a hairdresser. They're captive. I mean, you can't go from gray to blonde in just 30 seconds like they cut. You know, when I get in that thing, you know, I mean, pop, 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 pop. I mean, it doesn't take long to cut my hair. Same price, you know, 20 bucks. But if you're going to go from gray to gold, baby, it takes like an hour, two hours. I don't know. Pat's gone four or five hours. I don't know what she does. But, you know, I can say these things because she isn't here. What I'm saying by all these stories is this, folks. Some of you have been holding on to your nets in your boat for so long, and you wonder why you're spiritually bored. 
Church will bore you. you got a great pastor, great speaker, great staff, great things. But I'm telling you, even all this greatness can become boring. Are you understanding me? You can become apathetic. You can become church. You can just sit and think you're doing your deal by sitting in church on Sunday morning. And I'm here to tell you, whether you're 8 or 88, there's a place for you in the kingdom. And the one place nets are not supposed to be is in the boat. You don't catch fish keeping your nets in the boat. You don't lead people to Jesus coming to church on Sunday morning. You lead people to Jesus out there where you live, work, and play. So if the four or five hundred of you that come on Sunday morning, if even only a third of you went out and shared your faith one time a month, and let's say you did that for a year, and let's say the one to four principle works where where one person out of four that hears the gospel will come to Jesus Christ. That's three people that will come to Christ. And and so listen, a third, let's say, is about 150 people or so. Did you just do the math? 450 people would come to Christ this year if you just one third of you shared your faith one time a month. If you got your net out of the boat and shared your faith. See, I'm scared. Of course you're scared. You know why? The devil doesn't have any problem with you being at Pitts Baptist today. In fact, he may have walked in with some of you by the way you look. But where the devil will oppose you with every demon he's got is when you step out in faith to get out of the boat with the net, to cast that net, and invite people to look and hear what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Yes, you'll be scared. Yes, there will be opposition. Yes, your heart will go 100 beats a minute. Yes, I mean, for some of you, that would be a good thing if it started beating real fast. I mean, you know, I mean are, are you getting this? You will be opposed. You'll feel forces coming against you. You'll say, oh, I don't know what to say. Or what if they ask me a question I don't know? Or, or what if they reject me? Well, come on, folks. In the Bible, people were getting sawn in two, all their possessions taken, getting thrown to the lions. I think you can handle a little bit of rejection. Faith is acting on what you believe. And if you believe Jesus like Peter believed Jesus, you'll go out in spite of your feelings and do missions where you live, work, and play. I want you in Baltimore, but first, I want you leading somebody to Jesus right here where you live, work, and play. I want you to come with some stories with, to Baltimore, with the stories of people you've led to Jesus, so you can lead people to Jesus there. Are you getting this, folks? See, listen, you go on a missions trip all you want. Pay a thousand bucks, go on a mission trip, come to Baltimore, take the train down to D.C., have a good time, feel good because you taught VBS. And you can do all those things. And I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot here, Pastor, but I'm going to tell you, you can do all those things. They don't make you feel good, but you'll do nothing for the kingdom of God. If somebody doesn't come to Jesus, we've missed the boat. We somehow left the net inside of the boat. And I'm here just to call you, Pitts Baptist, and, and implore you and, 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 and beg you and, and get, I'll get on my knees if that's what it takes to ask you to do more than come to church, but to step out in spite of your fear, in spite of your hesitation, in spite of your, of your, uh, of your introvertness, in spite of not knowing what to say. Listen, when you're in love with somebody, you know what to say about them. You can ask me about my wife. I dated her four years, so we've been together 44 years in one way or another. And I'll have all kinds of things I can tell you about her. I know her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. I know what she likes and doesn't like. I know what, I know what, I know what, see, I know, I know, I know what, 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 what triggers the, 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 the look. <laughs> Took me about 35 years of marriage to figure that out, but now I know what the look is. 
I know my wife, so you ask me about her, I can talk about her. But church, I will have people say, I don't know, I don't share my faith because I don't know what to say. And they may ask me a question, I don't know how to answer it, and I'm fearful. And listen, I'm here to tell you, if you say you love Jesus, you'll know how to talk about him. First person I ever led to Christ was a guy by the name of John. And uh, <laughs> I was 18 when I got saved. Went to school the next day, was finishing up uh, high school. And uh, made straight A's in school and got F's in conduct. They used to grade in conduct. I know that's hard to believe for some young people. They used to grade conduct. And I was not a very good kid. I couldn't sit still. I talked all the time. So I failed conduct. How do you fail conduct? <laughs> I mean, that's what my mama said. And uh, so the first person I led to Christ was a guy by the name of John. <laughs> Another John. And I said, John, you ever get saved? Because that's all I knew what to say. So yeah, one time I fell off a cliff and I got saved. The rescue team came and I'm like, not that kind of saved, you idiot. <laughs> I said, I'm talking about a spiritual salvation. And right there, I quoted to him, Hezekiah 3.16. <laughs> some of you are saying, what's wrong with that? <laughs> there is a Hezekiah. But there is no book of Hezekiah. But see, I didn't pay attention in church very much. And John got saved. John is a pastor in a Southern Baptist church today. He got saved even though I misquoted a scripture. Why am I telling you that story? I'm telling you that story because I'm here to challenge you folks. It's not up to you as to what you say. Jesus can lead somebody to himself even when you mess up the presentation, even when you misquote a Bible verse because it's not on you to get that person saved. It's on the Holy Spirit. All you got to do is share what Jesus has done in your life and the Holy Spirit takes that and he transforms them. I was in a church preaching the other day in Kentucky, and, and I didn't even preach about salvation or anything. I was preaching about marriage, and, and, and this guy comes running down the aisle about three-fourths of the way, and he goes, he goes man, i got to get saved right now. I hadn't even given the gospel yet. you got to wait, bro. Sit there in the front row and let me get through my sermon. We haven't even taken the offering yet. In fact, maybe we ought to take it afterwards, because after you get saved, you'll get more money. So, you know, those thoughts are going through my head, you know. Now, we did. We led him to Jesus right there. I'm telling you something, folks. Jesus can save people in spite of you. But you've got to open your mouth. You've got to let down your net. You've got to put your net in the water because nets were not built to be housed in boats. And when you let down your net by faith, I know we've got to wrap up, but when you, when, you, when, you, when you let down your net by faith, you catch fish. You catch people. That have never heard the gospel. You catch boys and girls who couldn't tell you who David is from Noah or Moses because they've never heard that. In fact, the only name that they, the only time they've heard the name of Jesus Christ is when their mama cuts her finger when she's peeling a, 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 you know, a banana orange or something. She goes, Jesus Christ, and she uses it as a curse word. That's the only time they've heard Jesus Christ. They couldn't tell you what a Bible looks like. There are men and women, even in Bible Belt Buckle, North Carolina who think they're saved because they got baptized in some church when they were five years old in a VBS and they're living ungodly lives and they're not following the Lord and they think they're saved and they think and they're going to be one of those people when they stand before Jesus one day and he separates the sheep from the goats, they're going to be surprised when the angels say, you go to the goat pen. 
Do you, do you, are you tracking with me? There are people that are not going to get into heaven that think they're saved. And that's why I share my faith even with somebody that tells me that they're going to church. Even if they tell me that they're the deacon of the church. We had, we had a deacon in a church in, uh, in, in uh, Garner, uh, Garner, Shiloh Baptist Church, Garner, South Carolina last year. Baseball coach came forward. I was preaching about the out that counts. And, and I talked about, you know, people, you can hit a home run. But if you miss first base, you're out. The baseball coach came running down the aisle during the invitation, been a member of the church for 20 years, a deacon Sunday school teacher, and said, Pastor, I want to tell all the people, I miss touching first base. I'm not saved. Brought the house down. Because, you see, the only thing that saves you is Jesus Christ. The only thing that changes you is the Holy Spirit that comes inside of you when you get Jesus Christ. The only way you can stay in the, in the flow of the power and provision of Jesus Christ is to do and obey what Jesus Christ said. And what Jesus Christ said was not go to church, as important as that is. I'm not saying don't come, but Jesus didn't command you to go to church. What he did say was, in his final words, make disciples. So my closing question to you is this. What disciple are you making? In your life right now. Who have you discipled in recent history? Who are you pouring your life into to help them understand the claims of Christ? Who are you giving time and attention to on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis to help them understand maybe they're an undiscipled believer and they just need to understand the basics of the, of the spiritual walk. Maybe they're a lost person. They need to understand the basic elements of the gospel. But somebody needs your time and attention. Somebody needs you to let down your nets out of the boat into the water so they can get in the net and be captured for Christ. Who are you discipling? And if you're honest with yourself and you say nobody, can, can I just be really frank? You are disobeying the prime command of Jesus Christ. Go and make disciples. See, when you get to heaven, folks, St. Peter's not going to be at the gate with a long list of all the Sundays you attended church. <laughs> Go, well done! The question is going to be, did you receive Christ? And when you stand before the white great throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20 says, you'll be judged on your deeds. Not whether you get in heaven or not. If you're saved, you're getting into heaven. But you'll be judged on your deeds, what you did with your spiritual life. And if the only thing you've got to say is, went to church, <laughs> went on a mission trip, gave money to the missions offering, all good stuff. But you don't have any souls that are waiting in heaven for you. There's no reward. Closing story. My mom is 85, Pastor. Since I saw you last, I had to put her. I'd take her keys away from her. She would call me up and say, Ron, I, I ran over another mailbox today, and you got to come and put it back up. She lives in Orlando, Florida. Took her keys away in January. Sadly, because of Parkinson's and dementia, we had to put her in a nursing home. I mean, well, it's not even a nursing home. It's assisted living in May. I've been cut out of the wheel. <laughs> She's not very happy with me right now. But I, there was nothing else we could do. My mom was so depressed when I went to see her in August. She says, I don't understand why I'm here. Let, let me tell you something. Some of you don't understand why you're here. Not in the church, but on this earth. 
Why didn't Jesus save you and then just beam me up Jesus and take you right to heaven when he saved you? Wouldn't that be cool? He left you here for one reason. One reason that Jesus left you here after he saved you. And that's to share with somebody by letting down your net and bringing some more fish with you to heaven. So I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I don't understand. I don't, I, I don't know what God's doing. I can't figure it out. But, but what, if, what, if, uh, what if Jesus had you in this nursing home, Brookdale, this assisted living, to lead somebody to Christ? My mom has never led anybody to Christ. She was on staff at a church for 44 years. She's never led anybody to Jesus. She went to church, never led anybody to Jesus. So I showed her how to, on a napkin, how to share Jesus. She called me a few weeks ago, Pastor, and she goes, I was talking to this 87-year-old woman. And I took out that napkin that you drew for me. And I went through the plan of salvation with her. And she accepted Jesus. 87. Not much time left. If that woman would have died without Jesus, there's only one, one place you can go besides heaven. My mama goes before that lady does. And I told her this the other day. I said, Mama, imagine you crossing the pearly gates. There's my dad. Who died 20 years ago today. October the 14th. And I can imagine dad running up to her. Crabbing my mama. She's five foot one. And lifting her up with joy. But even greater joy will be that 87-year-old woman if she dies before my mama. Running up to my mama saying, thank you. That you lit your net out of the boat and brought me in. Would you stand with me for just a moment? Just with your, just put your cell phones down, your Bibles down, your purses down. We're still going to beat the Methodists to the Golden Corral, I promise you. And I want to take these last couple moments that we've got. And I want you to get candidly honest with God right now. Nobody moving, nobody looking around, just, just listen for a moment. And I want to ask you this one question today. Where are your nets? Where are your nets? Are they in the boat and you admire them and you polish them up, you wash them, but you never put them in the water? So you're never going to have anybody to bring to heaven with you? Are you actively lowering them into the water? And even on the days you don't catch anything, you continue to be faithful because Jesus promised you fish if you remain faithful. Friends, in this closing moment, I believe there's a ton of people today from young to old that need to make a fresh commitment of their life to missions today. Missions maybe to Africa or to Asia or to Europe or China to Baltimore, Canada, 
Those are all wonderful and good, but I'm asking you to make this commitment today. I'm asking you to be a missionary right here where you live, work, and play. I'm asking you to make a list of 15, 20 people that you know that don't know Jesus that are within a 20-minute drive of you. And I'm going to ask you to start praying for them every day. And I'm going to ask you to share your faith with one of those people each month for the next year. And if pastor has me back next year, I want to come back and see hundreds of people that have come to Christ. Because you put your nets in the water. But it starts today with a commitment. It starts today with you saying, I'm going to act. You've got to do more than believe, more than hope, more than want. You've got to act. And I'm going to ask you right now, while the pastor and some of the staff, the deacons are here at the front, our pianist plays... I'm going to ask you to do a very brave thing today. From the balcony to the back to the sides, I'm going to ask you to step out, come forward. And by doing so, you're saying, I'm making a commitment to get my nets in the water right now. Hmm. Now, I realize not everybody will do that. I'm not here to judge you, I'm here to give you a challenge to get in the game, to do more than coming to church, do more than reading your Bible, do more than attending the senior adult luncheon. I'm asking you to step out and get in the most wonderful game in the world, the game of seeing people that you know come to Jesus. And I wonder right now, just look at me, would you, all across this building, I'm wondering right now, I'm speaking to you in the balcony, the sides, in the back, I'm asking you right now, would you make a commitment today? To start putting your nets in the water. Looking for opportunities to share your Christ story. If you're willing to do that today, come take your pastor and some of these men and women by the hand and say, I'm in. I'm putting my nets in the water. Let's have a time of commitment today as a church. Let's have a time of just saying yes to Jesus today. Could we do that? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, pastor will tell you exactly how to do that. He'd love to share with you how to become a Christian today. How to know you're going to heaven for sure. And then you can be part of this great game God has called us to play in. I wonder right now, as the pianist play, will you come right now?